It is Encounter with God time here on The Breakfast Show. We're about to get back into our Bible study time. As we do so, we need to have our question for our quiz. Yes. We're going to get it right this time. That's right. Yep, yep. I'm not going to give away the answer. And, in fact, this question is very much related to what we're giving away because we're giving away these two amazing books, testimonies from people who were a part of war, War stories. War stories. Yes. And this next clue is a war story, actually. David defeats the mighty Goliath armed with only what? Uh, that's a war story. That is definitely that is absolutely a, war, a story. war story. 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. Again, these books, No Heil Hitler and A Thousand Shall Fall, incredible books about people standing for their faith in World War Two. So if you would like them, 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text. You just have to answer that question. David defeats the mighty Goliath armed with only what? Why is it that we, why is it that everybody enjoys a good war story? Oh, dude, I I cry in war movies, like, always. Yes. I'm like, I love it, because I think there's... Okay, wait a minute, you cry and you love it? Yeah. It's, like, enjoyable. Like, it's so moving that you shed a tear. The thing that I think fascinates us about war stories is because they depict the extremes of the human experience. That's right. And how humans respond in the extremes of their experience. Yeah. When when someone truly gives everything, which is you, you a situation get... and a scenario that just doesn't happen in normal life. Yeah, the story of the story of uh, of David and Goliath, you know, yeah. that's that's an extreme story. Yeah. That's an extreme of the human experience mm. right there. And it's it's God's intervention mm. in the extreme. Mm. And the books that we're giving away are really about God's intervention in extreme circumstances that, Mm. you know, we can sit back and enjoy from the comfort of our armchair or our pillow. That's actually really, you're just talking about, like, it's the extremes of the human experience that attract us because that can kind of be transplanted on any different profession or anything. Like, we're obsessed with, like, celebrities, right? Because they're the The extreme end. That's right, of the best singers or actors or most beautiful people or whatever it is or the richest in their living extreme life. That's why you got into motorsports. Yeah, it's it's just like, it's it's extreme. You wanted to reach the extreme. That's right. I wanted to go really fast and break all my bones. I did both of those things and now thankfully the Lord intervened in my life and here I am <laughs> doing that a lot less. Yeah, but absolutely. Do we have some text messages? Oh, we do. We've got a bunch of text messages. Let's uh, let's get into them. Uh, let's see what we've got here when, when I find them. Okay, <laughs> here we go, here we go, here we go. Come on, love. Okay, AI, amazing technology. Have you considered that will be used by Satan for total control in <laughs> these last days? Another bullet in his arsenal of weapons as... If you didn't have enough. Absolutely. And this is what we mentioned about Revelation 13 and coerced religion and worship at the end of Uh time. We should teach AI to praise the Lord. That's, that'll, that, then it can be used. What we need to do is create a Christian virus to infect all AI (laughs) and turn all AIs Christian. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think we've got it sorted. And we'll have AI evangelists just, 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 you know, the Bible talks about the rocks crying out. Dude, silicon, computers are just silicon is a rock. Computers are just rocks that we tricked into thinking. Yeah, that's actually that's actually so funny. A Christian virus, because you know how like like AI is right now and machine learning, like there's all those algorithms and programs that exist to like market you things. Yeah, imagine if we turn that on its head and instead of marketing you products to buy, they market you Jesus. 
that in the way that go. you need to hear there it. You go. Oh, there you go. There you go. Guys. There you go. All right, let's write the code. All right, let's, let's hijack these AIs. Let's get into it. <laughs> okay, facial recognition technology in the future, all this technology will be used against God's last day people. Absolutely it will. Mm. Uh, and this is the thing. Am I afraid of it? No. Am I bothered by it? No, because I've read the end of the book. I know how it ends. It's that mm. simple. Are we going to stop it? No, we're not mm. going to stop it. Should we be endeavouring to stop it? Yes, we should. Mm. You know, this is one of the strange things about Christianity. Why? Because we need to prolong our peace as long as we can so we can reach as many people as That's possible. That's so true. That's awesome. All right, optional celibacy. Great idea. Did someone read the Bible <laughs> and realize that Peter, who they claim was the first pope, was married? Mm. Amazing things happen when you read the Bible. I, I suspect that I detect a little bit of sarcasm right here, but it's so true and it makes the point so well. Just read the Bible, problem solved. I uh, I just wanted to quickly mention about the AI, like you know, be, that being used as a tool that would stop us from worshiping God and those kinds of things. I, I just like to read the Bible, Romans yes. chapter 8, where the Bible says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, to, uh, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, nor AI, nor facial recognition, nor yes. scary, spooky cameras and world powers and whoever they are, nor any of these things shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Rather than freaking out about AI and the fact that AI is learning to detect mood and pre-crime and those kinds of things, what we need to do is ask the question, how can we make ourselves the kind of person that when an AI facially recognises us and goes searching for our mood, rather than finding our mood, it finds you're a Christian? Mm. You know, oh, that, that would you, be something else. Or that, that you would, have intent to rob the store. <laughs> no, no. We need, and this is the thing with social media, because social media is constantly being mined so that they can build a picture of who you are. Mm. So then they can sell stuff to you. So they can sell stuff to you. Okay, is your social media selling you Christianity? Mm. Or is your social media selling you garbage stuff from the world? Mm. And if selling you garbage stuff from the world, then it is worth your while asking yourself the question, why? Mm. Why is my social media not trying to sell me Bibles? Mm. Why is it not trying to sell me Jesus? Why is my social media trying to sell me the things of the world? Mm. And uh, this is a question that we all need to uh, we, we all need to stop and think about. What does my picture look like of the algorithm that has you know drawn that digital picture of me? Does it look like Jesus or does it look like me? I would be so disappointed if it looked like me. My goal is for the algorithm that looks at me to draw a picture of Jesus Christ. Mm. Amen. And so, if AI is out there doing facial recognition. My goal is that every time the AI looks at my face, it sees the face of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, we live in a world of sin. We are weak, failing human beings. I get that. But this is what our goal should be. Mm. Every time you walk into Bunnings, it's like Jesus just walked into Bunnings again. Mm. That's what we want to have. That's the that's the picture we want to we want to create. Okay, creation ministries, the bottom line will always be the same. Will you believe the word of God or the word of man? If it doesn't align to God's word, it's from Satan, simple as that. In all the scientific presentations I've seen, <clears throat> the balance is so far for creation that we can only come to the conclusion that most scientists refuse to believe in God and his creation. 
it's a really good comment right there because I read these stories every morning while I am, you know, searching out the news stories that we're going to present each day. Every day there are scientific stories and every single one of them, when I read it, I'm like, and after discovering that, you believe in evolution? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And these are stories that are being written by, you know, ABC News, mm. which is just sort of out there and totally secular. Mm. And I'm like, do you do you guys actually see what you're actually writing here? Because you've just written a great argument in favour of creation. Mm. Anyway, I get hit with that every day because it's my job to research the stories that are in the news. Uh, we can only uh, that most scientists refuse to believe in God. Uh, the sad part is that they are also rejecting the Holy Spirit as He talks to them through nature and the galaxy uh, that an intelligent being created it. Good. Uh, text message right there. Okay, another one on the AI story. This one from Braden says, when I read it a couple of days ago, my first thoughts were, those questions were so leading, you can't say it was intelligence. Mm. Like, are you smart? And what's it going to say? No. (laughs) Are you alive? Oh, no. (laughs) It would be interesting to have a deep ideological conversation with one of these kind of AIs and just see where it all goes. But anyway, uh, let me see here. I'm going to build an AI, Stuart says, with super low power and super battery and solar power and totally seal it off so that Lawson can't switch it off. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I will find that AI. All right. Sorry, you don't like to like war stories because when you get, I do like war stories, but anyway, uh, because when you get down to it, the sixth commandment is being broken on both sides. Mm. Oh, sorry. No, no, this person is sorry. No, you don't like. Don't like war stories because when you get down to it, the sixth commandment is being broken on both sides. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so just want you to notice here that both of these war stories that we are giving away right here are about people, are about the Sixth Commandment not being broken. Yeah, what we call conscientious objectors. Yes, Mm. conscientious objectors. Uh, Then we've got another one here from David says, if you're talking about AI, let's construct them to oppose each other and fight. (laughs) So no humans are being killed. So no Sixth Commandment being broken. Hallelujah. Maybe that is a solution right there. And let me see, I've got another one here. AI fight to the death. <laughs> is that, if you kill an AI, is it matter? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so those are our text messages. We've got a few text messages this morning. The AI story certainly got everybody excited. Yeah. Uh, we, we love it when you get in contact with us. Mm-hmm. And so please do get in contact with us on a regular basis uh, so that we can... Uh, yeah, we just like to hear what our listeners have to say. Let's get into a Bible study. Where are we up to? We must be in, uh, what, Genesis chapter 14? 14. Like Genesis 42, sorry, what am I yeah, saying? I think 40. it was like 42. Are my numbers back there? This we got up my... to the part where basically Joseph interprets the Pharaoh's dream. And let's, let's just get into it. Let's just, just start reading. He becomes the man. He becomes the prime minister. Yeah. The grand vizier, you would call him in the Middle East. Well, this is this is where we got up to yesterday. Uh, well, the- Genesis forty-two, sorry, Genesis forty-one, verse forty-one. Pharaoh said to Joseph, "I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt." Two I see. Sorry, two I see. Oh, Joseph is now. The, Joseph yep. is now two I see. That's right. It's like, yep, you, Joseph, you're First in mate. charge. 
Uh, it then continues on. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen, linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in a chariot reserved for his second in command. So, yep, there you go. Two I see. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, Kneel down! So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or a foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. Wow. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name, Zephanath Panea. Zephanath Panea, yes. Interesting name right there. He also gave him a wife whose name was Asenath. Asenath. Mm -hmm. She was the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On. So Joseph took charge of the entire land of Egypt. He was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of the Pharaoh of the king of Egypt. And when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he inspected the entire land of Egypt. Okay, so this is an interesting story here. Let's, I mean, when we think about rags to riches stories, because we talked about how I love war stories, I mm. uh, also love rags to riches stories. Yeah. Is there any other rags to riches stories as dramatic as this one? I, like, biblically. I'm just saying any. Well, I think biblically, you know, you've got a few. You've got, like, the story of David, I think, story of. But even with the story of David, he comes from, okay, so he's an outlaw, but he has his own private army. He's a warlord before Mm. he becomes a king. Mm. Yeah, okay, he's living in a cave. Mm-hmm. But he has an army. Yeah. This guy's in jail. Or like Daniel is a captive. He's a captive, but he's in he's a university student. Mm-hmm. So as a university student, he's um you know, he's a leg up from from, yeah. a, from a prisoner. And the other thing about like because a lot of rags to riches stories are kind of marred with the immorality of the person succeeding. Like I don't know if you take like for example the uh, what's a, what's a good example from recently? Like the the Jordan Belford story, which is like he just defrauded Wall Street and manipulated the market to become rich, and it's like he went from rags to riches, you know. And, and now he's back to rags again. But yeah, well, he's kind of jumpsuit. He's kind of rich again. Okay. He's kind of going both ways. But essentially, yeah. like you see a story like that, and it's rags to riches, but for n- no real moral sake. It was just someone who cheated a lot of people. Even still, he didn't go from jail. Yeah, that's right. Like, or like if you, prime minister. or you look at like um, the guy who the Ponzi schemes named after. I forget his first name, but his last name is Ponzi. Who like, you know, was an Italian immigrant who was super poor and then come up with an idea to just defraud a lot, lots of people and get rich. But this I want to see someone. I want to see someone. I want to see another precedent in history when where someone has been dragged from a jail cell. Nelson Mandela. That's, that's and. Like, that same day, okay, not 30 years later or 20 years later. Nelson Mandela was campaigning in prison. Yes, but not that same day. He did not go from, he was not dragged out of his jail cell and made uh, prime minister. That was of, pretty short. I think it's probably from history one of the closest stories. Because, like, legitimate... I'm going to look that up. Or, actually, one of our listeners, how long between his jail cell and his uh, presidency? Because Nelson Mandela was in jail for 27 years, and it was towards the end of his jail... Well, because he was in there for life. 
He was supposed to be in there for life. Okay, somebody somebody who knows their Nelson Mandela story really well, tell us tell us what the times. But yeah. I'm, I'm just coming back to it. He was not dragged out of his cell <laughs> and made prime minister, president of South Africa. Yeah, the same day, within hours, you know, by lunchtime, you know. In the morning, okay. in the morning, he is in Maybe jail I've, with I've no actually, hope of anything. I've, just the way that the story is coming to me in my mind, I tend to think that that's kind of what happened. No, it's not. Not even close. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> not even close. All right, all right, all right. Anyway, um, we, we, <laughs> we continue on. I'm, I'm, I'm this gonna, guy I'm is getting maintain, paraded around. And I'm going to make the argument that this guy is the greatest rags to riches story ever. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if you've heard the story of Lawson Walters. Um, he, he went from riches to rags. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few of those stories getting around. Uh, and but then, now and he's then, and then he's, back to riches. He's he is uh, he's got treasures in heaven. So and, much more riches than he's ever had before. Amen. Yeah. All right, where are we up to? We uh, need to continue reading here and 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 stop ourselves from getting sidetracked from the mm-hmm. fact that. Joseph well, has had this amazing experience. Well, now we've seen that Joseph is having this amazing experience. Wherever yes. he goes, people are bowing down to him and he, no one can move without his approval. That afternoon they are doing this. And that morning he was in jail. That afternoon they are doing this. And now from verse 47, the story turns a corner and starts to look at, okay, well, wh- he's become this leader, but for what reason? And it starts in verse 47. It says, As predicted, for seven years the land produced bumper crops. During those years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields in the cities. He piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to even measure. During this time, before the first of the famine years, Two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, and uh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. At the last... At last, the seven years of the bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. Then seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. Famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt, there was plenty of food. Eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well. And when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. So with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grains to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And the people from all around, all over Egypt came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the entire world. Okay, so... Egypt really achieves its true status as being a world superpower mm. during this particular period mm. because it is able to dominate the world simply by the fact that it is able to stay alive. Mm. Not only is it able to stay alive, but it is able to drain the wealth of the surrounding countries. Mm. Whenever we talk about Egypt, we talk about the wealth of Egypt more than we talk about the power of Egypt. Mm. It was incredibly powerful, but it is known for its wealth. Mm-hmm. And we ask ourselves, okay, what was the origin of this wealth? Where did it come from? Where did it originate? And certainly the Egyptians were great traders. Certainly the Egyptians had built themselves a very powerful empire. Mm. But when you've already, when you're starting from a position of strength in the world, and then you have a circumstance like this happen where you are the 
essentially the last man standing. Mm. In any economic crisis, you get this last man standing is the one who just cleans, cleans up. up. Yeah. And you look at the wealth that flows into Egypt at this particular point. This is the point at which Egypt becomes the Egypt that we know of for its gold. Mm. Because the gold of the whole world flows in there. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. This is The Breakfast Show. We're getting stuck into our Bible study this morning. We have one last clue f- question for our quiz. That's right. Of whom does the Bible say the Lord his God was with him and magnified him? Magnified? Magnified him? Exceedingly, I, I assume that's what it's supposed to say. Magnified him exceedingly. 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer. If you do, you can call or text and get your name in the draw to win A Thousand Shall Fall and No Hail Hitler. Both of these books will be given out as a result of our draw, which will be drawn tomorrow. So you guys have limited chances left. Get in. Again, this question was, of whom does the Bible... Whoops, I pressed the wrong button. Of whom does the Bible say the Lord his God was with him and magnified him exceedingly? 0491-064-669. Okay, so we've got a few contenders coming in for uh, rags to riches stories in the Bible. Okay. Uh, so both Karen and Deanne have, have texted in about, uh, Karen says, orphan to queen with Esther. Okay. Karen says about Esther being an orphan uh, to being a queen. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't overnight. <laughs> This is true. Okay. And so, okay, so this, okay. Is, this, this is where okay. I win. This is where I win because the Bible says that she was uh, recognized as having potential and so she was placed into beauty treatments for 12 months. Mm. So she went to a, a, to a beauty spa for 12 months. That's, that's, that's pretty impressive. Epic deal. It's a very epic deal. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And the other thing, too, is that as queen, she did not exercise the power that the prime minister of Persia would have exercised. Mm. So it's a good one. It's a very, very good rags to riches stories, but it's not as good as Joseph's yet. However, Freco has come one come through with one that is better. Really? A better rags to riches story. Uh-huh. And it's actually in the Bible. Uh-huh. Yeah. If it's Jesus, like Okay, so he went Jesus went from being from execution as a criminal He was dead, yeah. <laughs> to king of the universe. <laughs> To ruler of the entire universe. Let's go. That is a rags to riches story right there that outdoes Joseph all day long. (laughs) Because Joseph only became prime minister. He didn't become Pharaoh. Yeah. He only become he only became prime minister. Okay, um, uh, what have I've got another text message? (laughs) That's so funny. That's all we've got. That's so funny. That's like, oh, here's one coming through right now. Okay, all that's right. the answer. Be, oh, Nelson Mandela history. Let's see. That's a long text message. I actually know the answer. It's a great success story, but what is never discussed is that the political process that accumulated in the change of government and abolishment of apartheid in South Africa was a bloody and destructive process. Nelson was a terrorist before he was in prison, yeah, similar 100%. to the IRA, uh, fighting the current government to bring about change. Yes. Uh, this was the reason why he was imprisoned when he was caught. I don't know the time frame from when he was released and became president, but he was certainly a changed. He was certainly a changed man when he was released. He was a fighter for peace rather than violence to gain a positive outcome. I believe God changed him during his years in prison. He educated himself and learned the value of humility and peace. Not sure if he ever found God, but he certainly changed radically, and he had great hopes for South Africa and a peaceful way forward. 
this rags to riches originated not in a good moral set of values or gods. This rags to riches originated not in a good moral set of values or godliness. He was no Joseph to begin with. That one's from mm. Francine. Thank you, Francine, for sending that through. Uh, very good history and good research there. Uh, I'm going to make that one a text message of the day. So Nelson Mandela mm. was released from prison on the 11th of February, 1992, and he became the, predest- uh, the president of South Africa on the 10th of May, 1994. So, so there's four a four-year four gap. Four <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was a gap in there. Okay, what have we got here? Rags to riches stories. No one comes close to Joseph. What he did with the gift from God is totally different from what others did. Mm. Uh, has anyone besides him allowed to save the world from hunger or given second rulership of the greatest empire of the earth at that time? Mm. There's a few people that have had second, uh, uh, been a prime minister or even a president, a head of state, part of a world empire. Nah, this one, this one tops it. Mm. Apart from Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, Freco. I mean, hey, you can't argue with Freco. It's just no no argument there. That's just like such a go-to. It's just like kind of cheating, bro. No, 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 no. Somebody had to say it. Somebody had to say it. Okay, so now here's something interesting I'm going to point out, and this is going to come back up in the story of Joseph, and this is the system that Joseph originates right here. When he opens the storehouses of Egypt, he doesn't hand out free grain. Mm. And this is really important. They pay for it. Yes, and uh, is that important because it's making the government rich? No, it's important because handing out freebies is not good for the human soul. Mm. It's not good for, and, and God never intended human beings to live off handouts. Mm. The Egyptians did not live off handouts for the next seven years. Joseph instituted a means by which they could have a safety net mm. that they earned. Yeah, I think the important thing is is that the the reality at this point is not that oh all of these lazy Egyptians have lost all their food. It's like no, like even if they work themselves to the bone, there just is nothing. That's right. There's nothing if for the, them. If the if the river doesn't come up, they die. They die, no matter what they do. Yep. And so, like that that then what Joseph has done is yeah created that system where they can work for their food still, just like they That's would right. have if there was. The river came up. And when you actually break the system down, it is one of the greatest safety nets that has ever been created by a head of state. Yeah. Uh, some people are like, oh, no, he enslaved the e- Egyptians. No, he doesn't enslave the Egyptians. You look, at, you look at the system that he creates, and it is just absolute genius. And I wish that our modern governments today could come up with systems like this and like they had in ancient Israel that provide a safety net. Because as Jesus said, the poor will always be with you. Mm. That's the reality of the world in which we live. And we need to have safety nets, but we need to have safety nets that give human beings dignity. Mm. And giving human beings free stuff does not give them dignity. Mm. And it does not increase them. It does not help them in life. Mm. It does not help them to grow in their human experience. It stunts them. Mm. And so you've got two systems in the Bible that are fantastic safety nets. Anyway, the famine, of course, hits all of the countries. The whole region gets smashed by famine, which is why they're all coming to Egypt to buy, to buy grain. If we continue on in the story, we must be up to chapter 42 now. Yeah. 
Let's keep reading. That's right. In chapter 42 and verse 1, the Bible says, When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around looking at one another? I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. Indeed. That's so funny. He's like, what are you guys doing? Looking at each other. Wake up. Well, they were kind of looking at each other because it's kind of like, what do you do if you mm. live in the ancient world and if you're a pastoralist and if you have no water? Mm. That you just, like, what do you actually do? And, of course, Jacob hears that there's food in Egypt. He's like, go down there. Mm. Let's buy some. He's got the wealth. He's got the money to do it. He probably doesn't realise how much longer the famine is going to continue. Mm. Does he have seven years Reserve. Yeah, well. he's got some reserve here. He's got some money, mm. but he has, got, has he got seven years worth? Mm. Maybe not. So Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain, but Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother Benjamin go with him for fear that some harm might come to him. So jo- so Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with the others to buy food, for the famine was in Canaan as well. Okay, so has Jacob really learned lessons nope. of parenting? Nope. Nope. He's still got a favourite. Yeah. And he's still got a kid that he is keeping around the ho- house that he's never going to let, you know, he's, he's, he's raising a cotton wool kid. Mm-hmm. And we all know from modern society that cotton wool kids have no resilience whatsoever at all. Mm. And so this is terrible parenting. You would think that he would have learnt the lesson that having favourites was a bad idea. Mm. He hasn't learnt that lesson. Not at all. His brothers have, his sons have learned lots of lessons from this experience with Joseph, as we are going to see. Mm. But Jacob has lessons to learn. We all have so many lessons to learn, particularly when it comes to parenting. But Mm. more to come on that. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Come time for a question of the day. Before we get into it, we have another question for... No, we don't. We have, we have answers. We just have answers, Lyle. We have answers. We do, no more questions. Uh, we only have we answers have a, here. We have another question. We kind of missed one out. Another one. No, so, okay. Our answers are, for the first question, it was Lydia. For the second question, it was Curse. For the third question, it was Mud. For the fourth question, the answer was slingshot and five stones. That's what David used to defeat Goliath. And finally, who was this amazing person that the Lord magnified exceedingly? It was Solomon. But right now it is time for... Question of the Day. Okay, here's an important question, Lyle. Why does it matter if I choose to believe that when I die, by grace, I go to heaven? Yeah, it's a really good question. Genesis chapter 3, I think, has your answer right there. You don't have to go far into the Bible to answer this one. Uh, the Bible talks about the serpent being more subtle than any beast of the field. And he said to the woman, has God said, you can't eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you or unless you die. So God has very, very clearly said, if you eat this, you will die. Uh, the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. That is the very first lie and bold contradiction of God that Satan makes anywhere in the Bible. And so the belief in the immortality of the soul, simply the word immortality means you can't die. And so the moment you throw that word in there, immortality of the soul, then you have agreed with Satan. 
And any time that you agree with Satan, that's going to have bad outcomes. So right there, immediately you should stop and think, wait a minute, uh, this, is, this is actually a really bad idea. Particularly when the Bible is super clear on this, you know, uh, for instance, in John chapter 5, verse 28, the Bible says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in which all that are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. The Bible says very clearly that we are waiting in the graves, sleeping in the tomb until the return of Jesus Christ. It is never safe to believe a lie. Believing a lie will always bring you unstuck. And so the real question then is, okay, how? What is the mechanism by which I will be brought unstuck? And I can kind of see where the person is coming from. Okay, so let's say that we've got two different options here. Uh, Option number one is that I believe that when I die, I sleep in the grave until the resurrection. Well, when I go to sleep at night, it's like, bonk, and I'm awake in the morning. You don't remember anything while you're asleep. And so for the person who believes in the resurrection, in the biblical resurrection, it's a blink of an eye and Jesus is coming back when you die. For a person who believes in the immortality of the soul, they're going to say, well, it's a blink of an eye and I'm in heaven with Jesus. And so either way, it's a blink of an eye and I'm with Jesus. And so people could argue, well, you know, what what difference is that actually going to make? Here is where it is going to make a massive difference. It opens you up by believing one lie. You are opened up to a whole slew of lies. And this is the way that lies work and untruths work. Once you believe one of them, it starts you down a path where another and another and another and another and another and another until an innumerable company is added to that. For instance, within Christianity, let's just stay with it. Well, now let's 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 make it broad. The foundation of every non-Christian religion is that you don't die. Mm. That's every non-Christian religion. So now you are open to every non-Christian religion because they all have the same thing in common. You don't actually die. You keep living in another format. The Bible says, no, you die. You're in the grave. You're dead. You wait to the resurrection. That's very different. The second thing is that every non-Christian religion makes allowances for, in one way or another, contact with the dead. Every non-Christian religion. And the moment that you are in contact with the dead, you are not actually in contact with the dead because the Bible says the dead know not anything. They don't know anything and they don't have anything to do with anything that takes place under the sun. The moment you have contact with the dead, you are not in contact with the dead, you are in contact with Satan. That is a very dangerous position to be in. Okay, so the moment you're in contact with Satan, that opens you up to like any kind of supernatural lie he wants to give to you. Mm. And so every non-Christian religion is open to contact with the dead. And guess what? It's the same within Christianity. Mm. Think about it. Mariolatry, praying to somebody who is dead, praying to saints. Really? If these saints are in heaven, let's say that you are a you know a staunch evangelical that's like, no, I do not believe in having contact with the dead. And I come to you and say, well, you believe in the immortality of the soul? Yes. So these people are in heaven? Yes. So they can see you and see you and hear you here on this earth? Yes. So why can't you pray to them? Mm. What's stopping you praying to them? It makes no logical sense not to pray to them and not to communicate with them if they can see you and they can hear you here on this earth and they are in heaven. 
And the moment you do that, you've now opened the door. It's like, okay, now I can communicate with the dead. Now you start to communicate with the dead. Now you have the door wide open to spiritualism, the foundational doctrine of spiritualism. Doctrine number one, A1 doctrine of spiritualism, is that the dead continue to live. Mm. That's Satan's first lie, and that's what spiritualism is founded on. This is a lethally dangerous doctrine. And of course, as you go through this day, remember to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. For being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1 800 Faith FM.